I do want to speak to you for just a few minutes on, um, on a topic called um, How to Know the Will of God. Figure I've got 30 minutes this morning. We'll lick that topic in 30 minutes. Real simple, easy, <laughs> just being sarcastic. Um, how to Know God's Will. We're going to talk about that for just a few minutes this morning. This is not part of a teaching series. This is just one Sunday. We're going to talk about this for just a moment. I was having lots of flashbacks while Rajiv was standing up here back in my uh, younger and uh, hairier days. I was a youth pastor. I actually spent 10 years of my life um, as a youth pastor. And my job for the 10 years that I was a youth pastor, kind of my job description was, all right, you need to be responsible for all the teenagers in the whole church. You need to make sure they stay out of trouble. You need to make sure they're making good decisions in their dating relationships and that they're not doing drugs and they're not sleeping around and they're doing well in school, they're doing well in church, that they're behaving themselves in church. You need to make sure that they graduate. You need to make sure that they uh, know what's going to happen after graduation. They've heard God's... I mean, it was a lot of expectations, sometimes unrealistic expectations. And I remember trying to explain to somebody in my family when they asked, well, how does it feel to have that kind of responsibility as a youth pastor I said, well, you know, the, it's kind of hard to put it in words. I said, I guess, you know, maybe the, the best explanation for it is it is long weeks and months filled with, like, stress, anxiety, insecurity, confusion, second-guessing, drama on top of drama on top of drama, and frustration and wondering and doubt that is occasionally interrupted by brief moments of clarity and joy when everything seems to come together and those little tiny moments somehow seem to make it all worth it. And um, that was kind of my working definition of what being a youth pastor was. And um, I remember when my son was born, I have a three-year-old, and when my son was born over the first six or eight weeks of of his life, because most people in my life at that time knew that we had tried for years and years and years to get pregnant and couldn't, had all kinds of infertility issues, and God just surprised us and blessed us with this miracle son that we have. They go, how is being a parent? And I usually say, it's long weeks of stress and anxiety and second-guessing and frustration and wondering and doubt and feeling silently judged by everybody when I'm not getting it right and all these expectations that's briefly interrupted by these small moments of joy an alignment when there's no screaming or crying and it just kind of those little moments makes it all worth, you know, all worthwhile. And I wonder if we were really honest with ourselves, how many of us would describe our lives up to this point the exact same way? Kind of if you watered it down, it's generally miserable with a few bright spots and those bright spots you live for those and you hope that somehow those bright spots outweigh everything else. I talk to a lot of people. I'd listen to a lot of people. And though it's not true of everybody that I run into, I will say that the general script that I hear from a lot of people's lives, whether they are church attenders or not, whether they're believers in God or not, the general tone I hear from a lot of people is that my life is filled with lots of stress, lots of anxiety, lots of unmet expectations, lots of shooting at a target I don't know if I'll ever hit, but I feel like I need to shoot at it because that's what I'm told to shoot at. I second-guess myself all the time. I'm waiting for my break. I'm dealing with a lot of injustice. And my life is filled with moment after moment, season after season of general misery and anxiety, which is every now and again interrupted by these short little moments where everything feels good. 
And I guess I hope that those moments outweigh everything. And here's where I'm at. I don't know if that's the way that God wants us to live our life. I'm just not convinced that God wants us to settle for that type of a perspective on the way that we parent, on the way that we view our job. Why do we have to settle for living a life where we say, I've just accepted most of my life is going to be miserable? Most of my life is going to fall short of the standard. I'm not going to have always the money that I want. I'm not going to understand parenting the way that I want. I'm not, my marriage is going to be... How many of you would describe marriage that way? It's been 27 years of stress, anxiety, frustration. That's rewarded by these little tiny glimpses. I don't know that as I read the Bible from the beginning to the end, and the more that I get to know God, that He wants you and I to spend all of our lives feeling like it's just miserable and we hope we get some bright spots every now and again. So how do we... How do we move from that coloring of everything to a different view on life that says, my life is a gift from God that is meant to be enjoyed? Even though it's not always enjoyable, my life generally is good, and it's a gift. And God gave me this life not to make me miserable, but as the best gift He could give me. How did the, I'll tell you how it starts. It starts by changing the way you and I think. We must think differently how does that happen well romans chapter 12 tells us exactly how that happens and it bleeds right into our topic of understanding god's will this morning so if i may this morning i want to read you just one verse from romans chapter 12 and i want to talk just for a few minutes about how we can know god's will and i want to marry these two thoughts together how do i get to from the place of feeling like my entire life is straining towards something, and I never get there except for these little moments. And how can I move in a place where I say, I just am able to take my life, the sum of what it is, here's a mouthful, and learn to be content without being complacent. How can I learn, like Paul says, to be content, whether, I, whether God's will is for me to have a lot or a little? How can I learn to be content, which means I'm, I'm okay with who I am and what I have, without becoming complacent which means i'm lazy and i refuse to grow how can i find that sweet spot well it begins here and really all that it begins with is we must learn to think differently because as our thoughts and as we think so we are and so thinking is really important in this we are all about being disciples of jesus christ here we're all about making disciples of Christ. And I will tell you, there's a heart change, and the heart change has to lead to a head change when it comes to us making progress. So here's what Paul writes in Romans. He writes this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Can I read that to you again? Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Do not right-click, copy, and paste everything the world tells you to think to expect of yourself, to process, to color everything. Don't copy, but let God, let God do it. In other words, changing of our thinking is something that you can try and do on your own or you can let God do it. Let God transform you into a new person. Awesome. I want to be transformed into a new person. How about you? You want to be transformed into a new person? How's that? Okay, we got three of you in the back. there. Like, Yes, all right, this is for you then. How does it happen? Do you have to go to a 12-step program? Maybe yes, maybe no. What's the goal of that program? Do you need to get on a huge diet? Do you need to get into Financial Peace University? Do you need to come to church seven times a week, whether we meet here or not? Maybe, maybe not. You know what it really has to happen? It's what it says right here. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
then, meaning after God starts the process of transforming the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you understand there is a sequential order right here in this verse that's up on the screen? First, we let God transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. And then we'll be able to learn and know what God's will is for us. And then it gives you a couple characteristics of what he wants or intends for us. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. That sounds a little bit different than the... Would you describe your life as good and pleasing and perfect? Probably not. God says what he wants or intends for you and for me is not 88.7 years of misery interrupted by little glimpses of things that are decent. Does he promise that it will be smooth? No. Does he promise that we won't have trouble? No. He said, in this world you will have trouble. But he didn't say that in that trouble that you and I have to forfeit the fact that we can still be right in the path in the center of what he wants for us and still find his good and pleasing perfect will even in the midst of the episodes and the up and down of life. Well, pastor, that sounds too difficult. I don't know how I can get there. Well, what if you could think differently? Then you would get there. It's all in how you process what you're going through. That job you hate so much, didn't you at some point in your life beg God to give it to you? This marriage that you feel like is lousy, didn't at some point you say, God, thank you for my husband, thank you for my wife, thank you, this is it. It's all in how you think. Well, pastor, I'm going through some difficulty, it must not be God's will. Where did you get that thought from? Because if you think that life is going to be smooth and trouble-free, every time you hit a bump, you're going to be convinced that God hates you. You're thinking wrong. Let God transform you by changing the way you think and then you will be able to know and understand and learn God's perfect, pleasing, good will for you. So we kind of have to to define a few things. Let me give you a big idea and then I'll give you a definition of God's will because let's be very honest. If you go home this afternoon, you want to learn more, and you just start typing into a search engine like Google how to know God's will, you will find very quickly that this particular topic is 10 miles wide and 100 miles deep, and there are volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of really interesting, very heady, very theological, heavyweight discussion on God's will. I am none of those things. This morning, I'm I'm trying to be real simple here. So those of you that are very academically minded and have spent 97 years of your life researching this topic, please don't be insulted when I kind of try and take a simple approach to this. I'm a simple guy. I'm just going to kind of take a thimble out of the ocean of this conversation this morning and say, if I could condense all of that down to like a 300-word essay, what would it sound like? Here's where we go. Here's what the major thought is I'm trying to get across this morning. The big idea is that God invites me. He invites me and he invites you. All these words are important. To discover his good, perfect, and pleasing intentions for my life and your life. God invites, you can read it to yourself, God invites me to discover his perfect and pleasing intentions for my life. Whether you believe in God or not, let's suppose for a second he exists, that he knows everything and he has good plans for you, that he knows about, that he has good intentions for your whole life, that will be pleasing to you. Like a dad who knows what his kid is just wired to like and he has it ready to deliver, knowing what the reaction is going to be. 
wouldn't you be at the very least curious to at least know what those things are? Now, the interesting thing is that we need to be in relationship with God first before he generally rolls out all these things. Because what would be the point of rolling out all these things if we don't even have a relationship with our dad? He wants, he wants us to have a relationship with him. Let him transform the way we think. Let him make us into a new person. Then we'll figure this out. God's will begins. God's will begins. Or God's will consists of both general and unique things. Can we put the big idea back up on the... I've got, I've got, every time I look up, the lights go in my eyes, and then I see dots. When I look back down, I just see dots on my screen. So sometimes I'm not making sense. It's because I'm looking at dots. <laughs> Knowing God's will begins when I allow God to transform the way I think. Okay? So he invites us to, to discover this, and it begins when I allow God to transform the way I think. It will be very helpful for us. We'll go on to the next section of your notes right now. It'll be helpful for the rest of the morning if I give you a working definition of God's will. Again, if you type into a search engine... What is the will of God? Definitions of the will of God. You will get a lot of answers. You'll get a lot of information. I'm not suggesting this as being the definition, but I'm comfortable saying what I'm giving you is a, very, is a definition, a very simple definition. Uh, one simple definition of the will of God is this, what God wants. What God wants. Or maybe even more specifically, what God intends. The will of God consists of both general things and unique things. There's a lot of thought in there. But we're going to talk this morning about what God wants. Understanding that if we base off what the, if the Bible says I can begin to think in my life about in terms of what does God intend for me, and I stay on that path, I may not come to a place where I say my whole life has been absolutely miserable, interrupted by short little glimpses of where it all makes sense. But I'm convinced that that's the path. That's the path. That we need to be on. So simple definition is what God wants or more specifically what he intends. And the will of God consists of both general and unique things. It's God's will. There are certain, when I say general things, there are certain things the Bible tells us that God wants for everybody. A general thing is what God wants for everybody. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. It's the same for all of us. The Bible gives us, gives us a couple examples of those things. Like Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, it is God's will for everyone to be saved. Amen? God wants everyone to be saved. Now, will everyone be saved? No. Because you see, as we'll talk about in a moment, not everything that God wants or intends actually happens. Because there's this role that we get to play in this. We get to choose whether or not we want to be part of what God wants. But there are some general things about the will of God that you and I don't need to strain real hard to find. He says very clearly, it is God's will for everyone to be saved. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it says it is God's will for everyone to be sanctified. Sanctified means progressively growing into the image of Jesus day by day. That's what it means. God wants everybody not only to have a salvation experience, which happens when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. You become a new person. The Spirit of God enters into your life. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have heaven to look forward to and the Spirit of God living inside of you And then the process of what he does is he sanctifies us. He progressively makes us more into the image of Jesus Christ. He wants that for everybody. But again, it doesn't happen in everybody's life because not everybody wants what God wants. But that's what God wants. That's what he intends. Those are just a couple examples of the general things. But then God's will also has to do with some unique things. In other words, that might be what he wants for everybody, but there, but there are also some unique things that God wants or intends 
For you, Brian. For you, Lou. For you, Constance. For you, Mallory. For you, Troy. For you, Jen. For you, Julie. He wants unique, specific things for you. Might have to do with things like your career, your relationships, your finances, and your daily decisions, both great and small. There's been so much written about this, but here's kind of, uh, let me give you six things, very briefly. We're not going to delve real deep into each of these six. I want to show you six things that jump out of the Bible at me that have to do with God's will that help frame in kind of what it is and what it isn't. First of all, God's will can be taught. God's will can be taught. Say it with me. God's will can be taught. How do we know that? Well, David writes this in the Psalms. He writes, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Teach me, he says. Now, here's what David's saying. I don't automatically know what you want or intend for me. I don't know. And if I'm going to learn it, you're going to have to teach me it. Here's what he's saying. I did not automatically come out of the womb wanting to do what anybody else wants but me. How many of you have ever been around a newborn baby? We've got a few in attendance this morning. Babies do not come into the world excited about aligning what they want with us. They come into the world almost just predispositioned to want to eat whenever they want to eat. And what if they're not getting what they want? Have they learned to calmly bring this to our attention at a time that is convenient for us? Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, if you're not too tired right now, I would love to knock back a bottle if you just would have one, preferably milk at a specific temperature. Um, not that particular bottle, but maybe that one. And, and, you know, not at that angle, but maybe at that angle. And if you could hold me in your right arm this way. They don't do that, do they? We come into this world not aligned to learn anybody else's will. We want what we want and what we intend. And part of what parents do with their children, the biggest part of raising our children, isn't it really all about aligning what they want with somebody else? Isn't it about helping your children say, I know you want to stay up till midnight and you want to eat Skittles and milk for breakfast and you want to watch what you want on TV and you want to wear what you want and you want to date who you want, but you can't always have everything you want. At some point, you have to learn and submit what you want and intend to something bigger than you. And the assumption is that what we want is a little more educated and a little more refined and a little more safe and a little more healthy. But it does not happen naturally. Part of what parents do is they teach their kids how to align their will with someone else's. Isn't this what God is trying to do when we say, God, I don't have all the answers. I come to you even though I might be a grown-up. I come to you as a baby in my faith. And I don't know exactly what you want from me. I don't know what you want as far as my life, my career, my money, my relationships. I don't know exactly what you want. What should I be doing um, in my spare time? What should I be doing with my language? What should I be doing with, with the things that I, that I entertain myself with? We might not automatically know those things, but here's the good news. You don't have to go through life thinking like, like God is like this person that has all these landmines sitting everywhere. He's not going to tell you what you should do or shouldn't do. He's going to wait till you step on one and it blows up on you. And then, That's not the way... We can come to God like a student and say, I admit that I don't know it all. Will you please teach me? And the good news is that God's will, what he wants for you, what he intends for you, can be taught. A second thing that I see is that God's will can be desired. It can be desired. 
David writes again in Psalm 40, I desire to do your what? To do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. I desire to do it. Do you understand how powerful that word desire is? There's another way to say it. It's the want to. Do you know how powerful the want to is in our lives? Desire is what turns things that you should be doing into things you are currently doing. How many people, you know, I really want to get in better shape next year. I'm not going to start now because it's October and the holidays are coming up. But come January... I'm going to get down to the gym. I'm going to go there nine days a week. I'm going to get on that treadmill. I figure, you know, I've written it all out in an Excel spreadsheet that I refresh every January. And I go in there. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do 15,000 steps. I've got my Fitbit now. I don't. My wife does. The worst thing she could have ever ordered in her life. My wife is very competitive. And this Fitbit thing tracks your steps. And it counts, you know, you, you set goals and you can earn badges that don't exist. They're just digital things. And then you can... Log in and you can compete against other people you know that have a Fitbit and see who wins and get more digital trophies that don't exist. Now, yes, I realize I play Clash of Clans and it doesn't totally, but Clash of Clans is very real. Fitbit is just imaginary badges and things like that. It doesn't really exist. And my wife, one night, it was like 10, 15, like the other week. We go to bed early. We go to bed between 8, 30 and 9 and, you know, because I have a three-year-old and I, just keep my, I look forward to bedtime every day. And... But it's really good. My life is great, and it's, and it's wonderful, and it's interrupted by these brief moments of bedtime. And, um, and we're laying in bed. It's 10, 15. My son's asleep. Everything is good. And she whacks me on the shoulder. Like, what, 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 what? She's like, I'm sorry. I got to go out the living room. Like, Why? What's going on? Is there a bad guy coming through the window? Do I need to get the guy? No, 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 no. Like, like, like Tawny just went up by 2,000 steps, and I've got to go out in the living room and walk around. She's, she's literally out in the living room walking around the coffee table for like two hours trying to get to the steps. You know, you know why? Because she wants to do this. There's a desire inside of her that says, you know what, this works for me. This is a way that I want to spend, I enjoy walking, I enjoy getting the steps. I have a desire to do this. And it takes it from what she should be doing to what she's actually doing. I want you to understand that God's will can also be desired. If you don't want to do it, you won't do it. We all have lots of ideas in our mind about we're going to get healthy, we're going to save this much money, we're going to reduce our expenses, we're going to get serious about paying off debt, we're going to get serious about advancing our career, we're going to get serious about our education, and these ideas live in notebooks and they never get out of there into our life. A dream without a desire is just a wish. And I want you to live out some of these good desires you have in your heart. But they have to take some sort of momentum and energy behind them. David says, I don't just know your will. I don't just understand your will. I desire it. I want it. I want to tell you something. If you're not making progress, it might be that the want to part of you is broken down. And that's the part that maybe this morning God wants to jumpstart for you. Maybe there does need to become a desire that rises up inside of your heart again. Because if you can, you might, you might say, look out, water falling out on my feet. You might come to a place where you say, I don't really want that right now. Because some people honestly say they have a warped understanding of what God's will is. They think God's will is, a, they just have a very pessimistic outlook on it. Here's what I would tell you this. About eight or nine years ago, my doctor said to me, he said, you know what, here's, here's the deal. Um, if you, very good bedside manner, was one of the most uh, tactful doctors I ever had. He looked at me, and so when we moved to Georgia, and he did all the tests, and blah, blah, blah. I said, listen, uh, can I be honest with you? I said, well, why start now? No, no, I'm just kidding. He, he said, he said can, I, can I be honest with you? I said, sure. He said, if you don't lose weight, you're going to die. Oh, well, thank you for breaking that to me softly. He said, no, seriously, if you don't lose weight, you are going to die. He said, you've got to make some changes. 
He said, okay, well, what kind of changes do I need to make? And he started talking about diet. He said, you've got to eat less of this and more of this. And he started rattling off, you need to eat like leafy greens and blah, 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 and started going through the whole thing. I was like, well, doctor, here's the problem. Really, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Here's the, there's a problem. I don't like those things. I don't enjoy them. He's like, well, when you get hungry, what do you think about it? He's like, well, Burger King, you know, because for a certain amount of money, I can get two Whoppers and this and that and the other thing. He's like, that's ridiculous. You're killing yourself. But that's what I craved. That's what I desired. That's what I taste all the time. That's what I wanted. So I had to stop cold turkey on that stuff. And I had to start eating like salad or like as my, not as my son says. My son has started liking salad. But here's what he says, mommy, can I have some lettuce covered in ranch? No, like that's not, you've just saturated all of the nutrition out of it and you've got, I had to actually change my diet. I had to start eating more vegetables and more fruits, and I had to be more careful about what I'm thinking. And this crazy, and the first couple weeks, it did not taste spectacular to me. But you know something crazy happened after about a month and a half of doing this? My cravings started to change. It was weird. I wasn't expecting this. Then what I would start to get hungry, and I did still get hungry, what I started imagining and desiring wasn't necessarily the, the greasy food. It was the healthier food that my body had started to develop a craving for. And I learned something. Your cravings can be retrained and they can change. Maybe you need to start tasting the will of God so that your cravings can begin to change and say, this isn't really what I imagined it to be. I'm not going to eat God's will with my eyes. I'm going to partake of it with my life and see if those desires actually change. Third thing I know is that God's will can be done. It can be done. God's will can be done. This is extremely important. Jesus, the very famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, thy what? Thy will be done. You know what this means? That means if God intends it for you, it can happen. If God wills it for you, if he wants it for you, if he intends it for you, then it can be done. God never asked you and me to chase after impossible things. That's his department. What God wants you and I to desire is His will. And if He has this in His mind for you, then it can happen. That means if He wants you to sing it, if He wants you to say it, if He wants you to write it, if He wants you to sell it, if He wants you to buy it, if He wants you to pay it off, if He wants you to forgive it, if He wants you to forget it, if He wants you to raise it back up again, if He wants you to have it, if He wants you to get rid of it, it can be done. If He wants you to write it, it can be done. If he wants you to learn it, if he wants you to change it, it can be done. So many of us get these ideas, these God thoughts in our mind, and we convince ourselves, ah, that seems undoable, and I'm not going to get after it. I want you to know something. Some of you have God ideas you've been sitting on for weeks and months and years about your job, about relationships, about financial aspirations and goals they have. Let me tell you something. If it's within God's will for you, it can be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what God wants. For And not only can it be done, it should be done. It's not just enough to talk about what you're going to do for God today. The will of God is not meant to stay on the whiteboard or buried in the back of a napkin somewhere. God's will for you is meant to be done. This is why every week we end our service saying, what step do you need to take? Because it's not enough to just imagine these things that I can do and I should do for God, then I ought to be in the process of doing them. I have all kinds of people all the time to say, well, I thought for a while now that I should probably get myself some help for this, or I should go to therapy and talk about this, or I should really get on with saving for this, and I really need to start, a, I really need to buy a life insurance. Well, have you? Oh, no, because, <laughs> well, have you? 
Well, I'm waiting for God. What are you waiting on God to do? He's told you what to do. He's given you the ability to do it. He's given you, what are you waiting for him to do? Life is not some magic escalator where we just sit around and twiddle our thumbs and God just dumps good things on you. Get up and do something about it. Participate in your own miracle. Ask, seek, knock. Those are all action words. Well, I'm just so miserable in my job. Well, what are you doing about it besides complaining? I know a lot of people who would love to have the job you're complaining about. Does that mean that your job's perfect? No. But I want to curse what God gives to me to take care of. Listen, what he gives to me in my job and what he gives you in your job, if God gave it to it, then it is enough. And I have to learn to live inside my enough. And if you're dissatisfied with it, then take action about it and do something. Change the way you think by letting God transform your mind so that you can change the way you think. You really think he gave it to you just to make you miserable? God's way of punishing you is giving you a job that you get paid for so that you can be miserable? Maybe you think some things about God that he isn't, and maybe we need to transform some of those things. But if God gives it to you, it can be done. God's will can be chosen. God's will can be chosen. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 7. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. It's entirely, I can't say much about this. I've got to move on. But here's what I want you to see. God's will is entirely optional. That's not a good selling point here. Normally when we're trying to sell something to somebody, we say, listen, you've got to have this. My goodness, if you don't drive home with this thing, I used to sell cars, so I'm going to click into that mode here real quick. But if you don't drive home with this today, my goodness, all these different things that could happen. Listen, no one's forcing you to do God's will. Neither am I. Everybody deserves the right to say yes or to say no to Jesus and to say yes or say no to God's will. You just have to live with the benefits and the consequences of that decision. God's will is entirely optional. And Jesus said, if anyone chooses to do God's will, it's a choice for you to make. It is a choice for you to make to say, I want to know what he intends and what he wants, and I want to, arrange, I want to align my life accordingly, or I want to do what I want based on what I feel is right or wrong and what I feel is best for me. And, and basically, the, the gospel is you cannot have it both ways. He is, if he is your Lord and your Savior, then by the fact of God being my Lord, Jesus being my Lord, then immediately what he wants becomes preeminent for me and everything else in life I do has to align with that. You cannot say, I want the Savior part of Jesus. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I don't want to be scared of hell. I don't want to be scared of death. I want warm fuzzies when things are going bad. I don't want the Lordship part. I just want to be saved and also I want to retain, I want to write into the contract that I get to make my own choices based on what feels right or wrong for me. Then he's not your Lord. And it's not like you can itemize those things specifically. He's either your Lord and your Savior, or he's not all. He's either Lord of all or not at all. That's one of your, that's where this lands for all of us. So lordship is a daily part of the thinking process, but he can, his will can be chosen. Also, in your notes, you'll see God's will can be tested and approved. In the New International Version, Romans 12, 2 reads this way. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what God says. He's so convinced that once you taste of his will that it's something that will appeal to you, he invites you to test it and approve it. <laughs> How cool. How can you even know? Well, it's like my son, like I use him, I've used this illustration before. Like last night, we're trying to get him to eat. You know, we're trying to get, he wanted a certain kind of pasta. Thank you, Barlow's, for feeding my son this kind of pasta that now he insists that's like the standard for all pasta, whether we have it or we don't. Um, so, you know, I'm making a certain kind of pasta last night, the, the rotini pasta with the spirals. My son wants long noodles that I can wrap around on a dry fork, not the fork I have with pineapple on it, but on a dry fork. Okay. Um, so I give in and let him win this battle. And so we, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get him to taste this noodle. 
Made out of the same stuff as the fettuccine. Same company, same box, same recipe, just a different shape. No, Dad, that's not the one that I want. It's the same. I don't like it. How do you know you don't like it? Well, I don't like how it looks. You don't eat with your eyes. You eat with your mouth. Like, try it. I don't want to try it. And then finally, I try negotiating. Listen, if you eat this, I'll give you. And I'm like, no, we're going to move away from that. Like, just just eat this. And I'm like, okay, all my eating issues in my teenage years are because my parents. I'm like, you're having all these conversations as a parent, like right now. And I'm like, and and one thing I says, I'm definitely not ever going to mention this from the pulpit. And so as I mention it from the pulpit. He finally takes a bite of it, right? I, I didn't like hold his mouth open and shove it, and he finally takes a bite of it. He goes, oh, that's good. Can I have another one? I mean, I'm just like, look, man, if you'll just taste it, trust me, it doesn't taste like dirt. You will like it. You know why? Because I know you like this other stuff. I know you like this. God invites you to taste and test and approve as well. And please don't write it off before you've tried it. Please don't write it off on someone else's bad experience, their perception of what it is. God invites you. That's how confident he is that you will enjoy walking in his will. Finally, it says God's will can be understood. I love that part. Some of us think God is so advanced, and he is, that he's, you know, you, let me illustrate it this way. Do you have any really smart people in your life? They're really intelligent, and they're much smarter than you. How many of you know somebody like that? I know like a lot of people like that in my life. It's not hard for me to be in those circles. Are they ever so smart that they just feel you, you walk away from a conversation feeling like I'm immediately dumber just because I had that conversation? Like they know more about, they have forgotten more about that topic than I ever do. I feel that way regularly in a lot of the circles that I'm in. I'm just like, I'm around really intelligent people. They know more about business. They know more about the Bible. They know more about leadership, about parenting. Sometimes I feel like I am just unworthy to, be, to even hang in a conversation with some people, so I avoided them because I'm afraid I just won't understand what they're talking about. I have news for you. If they sat around in a circle with God and God wanted to, he could dumb them down real fast. God knows more than anybody. The sum of all of our knowledge doesn't even begin to approach God. Yet here's what he says. Here's what the word says. You can understand God's will. Therefore, don't be foolish, Paul says, but understand what the Lord's will is. God's not trying to see how cryptic he can make things and make you like you can make your own national treasures movie and decipher. This is why I get it worn out. Well, if you read every third word in the Bible and in the Aramaic alphabet, it spells out these certain special codes. Like that's what I used to do in the back of a Captain Crunch box. Like I don't want to approach like trying to know God like it's this some cryptic thing. What's a better message to someone like me is God says, I'm a really good communicator and whether you're good at understanding or not, I will make sure you get it. You can understand. If you want to understand, he'll make it that you can understand. God's will is not so advanced that you can't understand it. So there's just a few things you can learn about it. God's will can be taught. He can, it can be desired. It can be done. It can be chosen. It can be tested and proved. It can be understood. Let me narrow it down a little bit further. Let me ask, answer the last question in your notes. How can I know and understand God's will? And I've got like six minutes. Yes. All right. There are two primary methods, two ways you can know God's will. Because hopefully I've sold it to you on this point. You're like, I really want to know what it is for me. Okay. There's two ways which his will becomes known. First is by, whoops, first is known by revelation. Revelation simply means God just tells you very specifically what he wants. I love when my wife speaks to me by revelation. When she sends me on an errand to get something. And she doesn't leave it up to me to kind of intuit what I should be getting. She says, listen, please. 
go to Dunkin' Donuts, get out of the car, close the door, take your wallet inside. These are all important parts of the plan because of past experience. Don't lock yourself out of the car with your phone and wallet inside. While this, my son's in it. No, I'm just kidding. That, that, that never happened. Go inside. Get a medium. Get a medium. Pumpkin spice this with this many of this and that many of that. And make sure it's it. So, and now I just say, could you just, I appreciate everything. Say, could you text that to me? And I just, got, every time they know I'm going to come in, I'm just going to read very specifically. I don't have to dig for it. I don't have to hunt for it. It just comes very specifically. She reveals to me. She's got the information, and she just opens herself up and reveals it to me. I love when God does this, too. There are some very specific things in the Bible that are written to everybody. It's called the general will of God, and God's very specific. He's very specific about what to do with our finances. He's very specific about what we should be looking for in relationships. He's very specific about what kind of language and conversation that we should use. He's very specific about a lot of things. He's very, very, very specific. In those areas, I don't need to read 10 more books. I just need to understand what God already wants and let him transform me so that I naturally move in that direction. And that's a percentage of the time. Then there's this other way that we figure out what God's will is, and this is a word that makes a lot of us nervous in Christian circles. The second method by which God's will becomes known is through discovery. God invites me to ask questions and to investigate and to experiment as his will is made known to me through process. And because I don't have a lot of time, let me talk about the third word just for a moment. When I say the word experiment and we put it into Christianity, people get all kinds of nervous. Pastor, you know, I, I grew up in a certain generation when experimenting went in really different, crazy different directions. You know, you're talking that we should all be on a farm somewhere in New York listening to music and smoking all kinds. No, not that kind of experimentation. Let me just give you some guardrails here. As long as it's within God's general will for your life. Right? Is God's general will for me to live in sin? No. Is God's general will for me to do whatever I just want to do and just, you know, just free love and everything? I just, you know, whatever you feel, go and live. No, 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 no. But with inside of God's general will for my life, he invites us to ask and to seek and to knock. Let me read that to you just so that you understand I'm not making this up. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Here's what Jesus says. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, does that sound like passive life or active life? That sounds like active. Jesus says the way to discovering things to receiving things from God, oftentimes involves asking, it involves seeking, it involves knocking. God invites me, and I picked three different words. I didn't use ask, seek, knock. I used question, investigate, experiment. Sometimes we discover what God's will is, not because he zaps you with a lightning bolt and says, thus saith the Lord, you should go to this university at this time, pay this much tuition, get this major, you're going to get this job, you're going to meet this person. Sometimes God rolls it all out that way. That's not been the overwhelming part of my life experience. And maybe why my life has been so miserable is because I want God to reveal to me what he wants me to discover. Did you hear what I just said? Because that wasn't in my notes, I better say it again. (laughs) That just hit me right now. Maybe sometimes some of us are so miserable because we want God to reveal exactly where everything's going to be in our life. And we want him to give us steps to one to a hundred. And we're miserable because we're waiting for God to reveal the next thing. When he's saying, you know what, I love you. I've saved you. I've given you a mind and a spirit. You walk with me. Let's discover together. And we only want God to reveal. And we're nervous about this idea of discovery. Or maybe God's saying, the way I'm going to reveal my will to you is through asking. Through you seeking, through you knocking. Talk very briefly, a minute or two on each of those concepts so that I can drive this in deeper. 
maybe maybe we should clarify by asking the right, adding this phrase. When it comes to asking questions, maybe we need to ask the right questions. It's totally acceptable to ask God questions. Do you know that? It's okay. In fact, he invites us to ask questions. We don't usually start with answers. We start with questions, and questions are the pathway to get answers. The right questions lead to the right answers. Didn't James write, and didn't we study this in this, in this group? James write that one of the most likely reasons that you don't have what you're looking for is simply because you never asked. I've been lost for many hours of my life because I refused to ask. Answers were available. I didn't want to ask. I have walked laps around Home Depot. Because I'm a guy and I'm supposed to know where everything is. And I'm walking around there like I'll be texting Corelli. Hey, tell me where it is. I know you. You know why I don't have? Because I won't ask. Some of you are walking laps around your life. Because you're too proud to ask. You think it's all on you to figure it out without any directions. When God is saying, I'm your father. I know. Why don't you ask? He invites us to ask. There's no penalty for asking. Jesus could have said, if you don't receive answers, stop asking. Just do nothing and the answers will be instantly downloaded to you before you even ask. That's not what he said. He invites us to ask questions in order to receive answers. You can go through the Bible. You can start at the beginning of the Bible and look how God used mighty leaders who didn't who were confused, and they asked him questions. Go reread the story of Moses sometime. When God said to Moses, it shows up in a burning bush and says, I want you to go talk to the Pharaoh. You're going to lead my people out of here. Moses didn't say, okay, cool. Moses asked like chapters worth of questions. Well, well, I appreciate that you're showing up in the burning bush, and this is probably, but what specifically am I going to say? What if they don't believe me? What if, they don't, what if they don't believe that you actually sent me? What if they don't believe you exist? What about my stuttering problem? He asked question after question after question after question. And guess what God did? He gave answer after answer after answer after answer until finally Moses had enough of a grain of faith to go put it into action. So one of the ways you learn God's will is you just ask questions. Questions are just confessions that we don't know the answers. Other thing you can do is investigate. That means to study and research, to look into, to weigh your options, to consider all the possibilities, to turn over every rock and look over under every seat cushion until you find what you're looking for. I have yet to find something that I did not seek. I have yet to find something I wasn't looking for. Anytime you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit, it's okay to investigate what he might be saying to you. Not all of our questions get answered in our prayer closet, even though the process should start there. Many times the answers to our prayers to know God's will come from God through other sources. You know what Proverbs 21 says? Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. If you're, here's the idea. I can climb up into my treehouse that I built, which I should never climb up into because I built it, but I could climb up into it. I could pull up the ladder and I could cry out to God and say, God, I need to know your will right now about a real estate decision I need to make. And I'm not coming down out of the treehouse until you tell me. Sometimes I think God responds by tapping us on the shoulder and saying, I've already provided answers to your questions. Go seek wise counsel and you'll find out what you need to know. It happened to me one time when we moved here. We had a house in Georgia um, that was on the market. And it's a different real estate market there. It was taking a long time to sell. We had bought it for a certain price and lived in it for 10 years and paid down on it. And still when it was reappraised because of the bottoming out of the market, we were still $20,000 underwater after 10 years. It was just sitting on the market, sitting on the market. So we were up here, we were renting a place and we were paying a mortgage there and that equation just doesn't work, you know, for a long time. For a lot of us, it was getting down to, to, to crunch time for us. We were really stressed about it and I was praying to God and I just said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And it wasn't coming in my prayer time. I wasn't getting this answer in my prayer time. 
Little did I know that God would put it on someone else's heart who didn't know anything about my situation, who I didn't even know this person really well. Now they're a very close friend of mine, but at the time I didn't know. Somebody here in this area who called me one day and said, hey, you want to meet for lunch? I said, sure. We sit down for lunch. You know, the second question they asked me, they said, do you own a house in Georgia? I said, yeah, I do. Have you sold it yet? I said, no. And the person said, well, I know a little bit about real estate. Ends up they know a whole lot about real estate. And they said, could you tell me a little bit about what's going on? For the next 45 minutes, that person poured out practical information. Here's what you need to do. A, B, C, D, and E. Call your realtor today and do this. Call this person today and do that. Here's what you need to do. You know in three weeks, we signed the papers and it was sold. God had an answer for me that I wasn't getting when I was just praying and trying to process He's, God kind of already had, I just had to investigate a little bit. I had to find somebody that he, that had wisdom and good counsel that could help me. And so I just say that to encourage you. If you're trying to find the will of God about something specific in your life, it's not wrong for you to seek out godly counsel from people who might know more than you do about that way. Why does God have to only speak to us in our prayer life? Why can't the extension of our prayer life be the fact that he surrounds us with people that have the wisdom you need? Seriously, if you're wanting to write a book, why don't you talk to someone who's published one before and find out how they got there? If you want to make a career change, why don't you find somebody that's already in, and you're not sure, find someone who's already in that field and talk to them and find out what it takes. If you're investigating, these are practical things to do, and I know it doesn't seem like rocket science, but I want to de-weird this figuring out God's will. Sometimes it's just a matter of saying, I'm going to ask, seek, and knock. And sometimes you have to, well, how do you know which one to do? I pick all three. I don't care. You know, pick one and start there. Do something. You know, um, so, you, you know, if you need to make a major purchase, find out some reliable reviews, poll people you know have made similar purchases, ask them for some counsel. The problem you're facing might not be the result of a poor idea. It could simply be because you haven't investigated it thoroughly enough. And if you're stuck, this step will be very, very, very quick to get you unstuck and re-energize in a hurry. What about experimenting or trying or knocking? I've encountered so many Christians who are so afraid of failure that they spend all their lives overanalyzing, overthinking, overprocessing. Like some, I, one of my short fuse things, I'm an overthinker. I'm a worrier by, by nature, and God's transforming me, and I'm getting better. But one of the things that drives me nuts is when anyone, and some of you probably have done this, and I don't mean this, I'm not thinking of anybody personally, I'm just telling you something about me. When people start a conversation out with me by the following words, you know, have you ever thought about dot, dot, dot? I'm like, Seriously? I overthink. That's my hobby. Whenever someone says, you know, did you ever consider? Yes, I considered it. I considered it a thousand times. I mowed the lawn for two hours. That's all I thought about. You know, I tend to be that person that stumbles on the area of overthinking, and I'm resistant to to new ideas. That's something that I need to change and grow in. But some of us live that way with our whole lives, and we're so fearful of making a mistake that we overthink and paralyze ourselves. We never want to try anything for God. Can I tell you something? As long as what you're trying falls within the broad parameters of the general world of God, you really don't have much to lose here. You have nothing to lose. Seriously. How do you know if you're going to get the job if you never apply for it? How do you know if the career fits until you've tried it? How do you know if you should write a book if you've never written a page? Sometimes you just need to go and knock. You need to try, even if we don't know where we're going. The good news is that God gives us unlimited do-overs with no penalties when we're trying to get it right. Read this. I don't have time to tell you. Go, go to 1 Samuel and read the story of little Samuel trying to figure out whether it was God talking to him or not. He got it wrong a whole bunch of times, and God didn't penalize him. He kept calling him because he was trying to get it right. He just didn't quite dial it in right away. This is the God that we serve. My dad tells the story of the winter in 1977. He and my mom had been married a little over two years, so you can do the math, figure out I'm old, okay? He tells the story of the winter in 1977. We were really, really, really poor as a family. I was two years old at that point. 
Um, and he, he said, you know, we were, they had a critical need of, I think, $50 was the critical need, which back then was a lot, worth a lot more than it is right now. My dad worked two jobs, and my mom worked a job, and it wasn't enough. When my dad, my dad, my dad got saved when he was 18, and uh, so this is like two years after that. When he decided to accept Jesus Christ, his parents said, we want nothing more to do with you. You're on your own. So, you know, he very quickly had to figure this all out. He was working two jobs. My mom was working one job. It was down to the groceries and the heat, and they didn't have the money to cover it. They needed $50 that day. It's the winter of 77. It was really snowing a lot, and, and one of my dad's jobs was after he worked as a tool and dye machinist, he would come home, and he would do door-to-door sales for a company called Fuller Brush Company, this old cleaning product and stuff. And uh, so when it's snowing, it's not a good day to do door-to-door sales to begin with. Door-to-door sales is a tough job anyway, but you put snow on top of it. So my dad had this need. He left in the morning. He knew he needed to come home with $50 or it was no heat or no food, one or the other. He's got a two-year-old and a wife at home. Knocks on the first door. Lady comes to the door. He says, he says uh, hello, man. My name's Jeff. And she says, are you the man here to shovel the driveway? He said, no, I'm not the man here to shovel the driveway. I'm here to sell some Fuller Brush product. Well, didn't make a sale. Trudges down. Down the road to the next house, knocks on the door, opens up the door, a man comes to the door. He says, hi, my name's Jeff. And they say, are you the guy that's supposed to come shovel our driveway and our sidewalk today? He said, no, I'm not here to shovel your driveway and your sidewalk. I'm here to sell Fuller Brush products. Slams the door, no sale. Third door, knock, 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 knock. Same thing happens again. Third person, are you the guy here to shovel the driveway? No, I'm not here to shovel the driveway. I'm here to sell cleaning product. I don't want any cleaning product. I want my driveway shoveled. Fourth house, he knocks on the door. They open the door. Are you the man here to shovel the driveway? And finally, it hits my dad. You know what? Yes. I'm the man here to shovel your driveway. And he shovels the driveway, shovels another driveway, shovels another driveway. He went home that day and made zero sales, but he had $75 cash in his pocket because he knocked. Because he knocked. What's the worst thing that can happen when you knock? The door doesn't open for you, then it's a closed door. And closed doors and open doors are both equally valuable in discerning God's will for you. You hear me? What's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't go your way? Okay, cross it off the list. You're just that much closer to understanding where it is that God wants you. And though I can't speak a lot about this, here's where I'm at in my own processing of God's will. I've lived most of my life in a GPS coordinate mode. I need to get to this point. And some of you are probably wired that way. By this age, I need to have this much in the bank. By this, you know, I need to have this type of a car. I need to have this much or less on my house. We have all these specific destinations. Like all of life is culminating to something. There's going to be this moment, right? When, you know, your children and your relationships and your finances, it's all right there. It's like we, we, we set these benchmarks. I'm a benchmark person. Like, got to get to this goal. And life is miserable until I get to the goal. And then what happens once I get there? Do I die next? Or like, can I enjoy it? Like, what's that? I don't know that God's trying to get me to a point. I think God's trying to keep me on a path. You understand what I'm saying to you? I think many of us live like God's trying to get me to this specific geographic point, and if I'm one inch to the left or one inch to the right, right, I will be ruined. When I think God's saying, I want to keep you on a path, and I want you to enjoy the path to the degree that you can. I want you to find comfort in the path. I want you to find alignment and peace in the path. The path might not be pretty. This might be a lot of climbing. This part might be rocky. This part might go through a flood. But can't you just find joy in being on the path? Can't you just find contentment in having what you have and what you don't? So long as we're not being complacent and lazy. Why do we feel this pressure to be what society says we need to be and say we need to have? Can't we just come to a place where we say, you know what? I will ask. I will seek. I will knock. I will get to the center of what God's will is for me. And you may not find it's all these specific little dots. Maybe it really just is about a life journey that's meant for us to, to enjoy with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was a door knocker, wasn't he? 
He knocks on the doors of hearts all the time. Not every door of every heart opens. But could you imagine how life would be different if Jesus stopped knocking on our hearts after a while? Because he knocked and it didn't open. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know, I've felt God at different points in the life. I've, I've had an awareness of God. Maybe there were different points in life I felt like maybe God was trying to communicate with me. I'm not sure. But maybe you're at a point right now this morning in this service where you say, I'm ready to open the door of my heart. I do feel Jesus knocking. I want to figure out. I want to understand life better. I don't want to live life with a sense of misery and being um, deprived of everything or a sense of not being able to get anywhere, have no traction. Maybe today is your opportunity to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Welcome him into your life and change you forever. As our worship team comes to the platform, they're going to lead us in a closing song. But as they do, can I invite the rest of us in the room just to bow our heads and close our eyes for one moment? If you're here today, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I invite you right now, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, if you want him to deposit his spirit inside of you and begin to transform the way that you think so that you can know and understand God's will, it begins with a simple confession. It's a confession of who you believe Jesus is and a confession of why you believe you need him. The Bible simply says if you confess your faults to Jesus, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Paul writes in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. It's that simple. So this morning, if that's a confession you want to make, you can pray a prayer simply like this. I'll pray an example for you. You can pray it right there in your seat. Jesus, I confess that I need you. I confess that I've sinned and I've fallen short of the standards you've set for me. I ask you to please forgive me of my sins and to make me new. And I welcome your spirit to come and live inside of me. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord, and I believe you're the Son of God who lived a sinless life and was raised from the dead. I submit my life to you, and I look forward for you transforming the way that I think so I can enjoy discovering your good and perfect will for my life. Now, with every head up and every eye open, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come. We're going to close the service around this altar space here. If you're here this morning and you need it, if you have anything going on in your life that you would like someone to pray with you about, our team is here. As we begin to sing in a moment, you can get up, you can come out of your seat, you can go to any one of these men and women. We have story after story after story. I just talked to somebody, just talked to someone this week who prayed a prayer in this altar three weeks ago with one of our prayer team leaders that God's already brought an answer to them. I don't want you to walk out of here carrying some of the weight that you came in with. They're here to pray with you about things. But can I invite you all to the room if you're willing and able to stand with me? I want to ask you one question. What's the thing in your life that's stuck? What is, what's stuck? What's the thing you should be doing to get after God's will for your life that you're not doing? What's the thing you know to do that you've stopped doing? What's the thing that needs to change? Can you sometime today make a note of that so that it's something that you can do and that you are doing? That you're moving in that direction a little bit? I don't want you to walk out of here feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. I want you to see how good and pleasing and perfect God's will for your life really is. And I want to inspire you to take some action and move in that direction because I know as we do, that way that we color our life becomes different and God transforms the way that we think.